Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, the title of my message is Consider One Another. Consider One Another. And I talked a little bit about this last week on Sunday evening in my Sunday evening Bible study, which I was out on the road and, and had to pull over to the side of the road and record um, my my Bible study there and and bring that to you, but uh, uh, I talked out of Romans the fourteenth chapter about how we could should be considerate of one another, and the Bible has much to say about that, and uh, it's very important that we as believers get a hold of this, not just in this time. Uh, of dealing with this coronavirus situation, not just in this time. This is something that, that needs to apply to our lives, uh, you know, all year long, every year. And we just pray uh, that, your, that your heart grabs a hold of this truth and that you receive this and begin to consider your dealings with others. And, um, you know, one of the most important things that we can realize is that, uh, you know, my uh, pastor used to say this, and I, I quote my pastor a, a, a lot because he had an, a huge impact on my life, but he used to say that there is a difference between the reason why God created you and the reason that he left you here on earth after he saved you. You see, he could, you could have just gone on to heaven as soon as you were saved just gone on to heaven but you would not have see the reason that he created you was to worship God and you can do that in heaven and you will but the reason that he left you here on earth after he saved you was to seek and to save that which was lost and uh, you know so you were left here on this planet after you were saved after you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He left you here on this planet to have an impact and to have an influence on the lives of people. And if we don't learn how to appropriately deal with other people then, and, and how to relate to other people, then we're going to fail in the influence that we should have. We're not going to have the level of influence that we could have or the kind of influence that we should have. But we need to learn how to relate to people to influence them and impact our world for the kingdom of God. 
This is something that I talk about an awful lot, uh, uh, about influence. Because here's something that the Lord said to me many years ago. Uh, well, it's been a few years ago now. But uh, he, you know, I was kind of at a, at a place that I was a little discouraged about the, the, the size of our congregation. I wanted, you know, every pastor wants to pastor a megachurch. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I don't pastor a mega church, and I was a little discouraged about the fact that my congregation was much smaller than what I really would desire it to be and what I, uh, what I could envision and what I could see, it, and my congregation was not to that size level and attendance yet, and the Lord said to me, in a way of encouraging me, which, you know, he's, he's tremendous about doing that, about encouraging us, and because I was getting a little discouraged. And so he said, he said, I want you to stop thinking about your church in terms of attendance and start thinking about your church in terms of influence. And when I began to do that, I began to realize that we were having much more influence than what we were having attendance. In fact, uh, you know, we reach around the world today. God has empowered us through social media. Even before coronavirus happened, we were reaching around the world into over 100 countries, and we were reaching people, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the neighborhood of 100,000 viewers every week that would, that would uh, see our broadcast, and we were excited about that. And, and, and besides that, when you begin to think of this, if you're a pastor out there and maybe you're a little discouraged, think about it. Every person that comes and sits in your church, they go out and they touch the lives of other people. And I encourage our congregation and our people to do that. When you go out, that's the time you get to use what you learn in here. And uh, you see, that's why you come together to be equipped, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, to do the work of ministry. You get equipped, you get prepared, you get uh, charged up and ready so that when you go out, you can be an influence. It's not just about coming and sitting in the seats. It's not just about logging on to the broadcast, but it is about taking what you learn and influencing others. Praise God. Because Jesus, he's after the world. See, he's after all men, women, children. He is after the world. Praise God. Jesus came to save the world, not just to save a few people. You know, I got to say that if he came and, and he picked and chose and, and, and said, well, I'm just going to save a few people, I, I you know, I got to say, I, I'm not sure he would have chosen me. But because he came and he chose to save, to die for the world, praise God, I got included in that. Praise God, for which I'm grateful. And so, uh, here in Mark, uh, excuse me, let me, uh, let me just say this. In, uh, let me skip down to James chapter 2, verse number 14. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? 
Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. See, what are we doing to impact? Are you using your faith or are you just sitting around and saying, well, I've got faith and trying to grow in your faith? See, faith is not even the objective. It is what you do with your faith that, your faith that is the objective. Just to, just to have faith, that's, that's not what you're, that, that's not the objective. That's not what we're shooting for. We're shooting for faith and, and, and desiring to grow in our faith so that we can use our faith, not just to impact us, but to impact others. Praise God. And uh, there are some very practical aspects. You know, in Mark chapter 2, we read a story about um, some, uh, let's read here. In Mark chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house, and immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them, and they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying, and Jesus saw their faith. Let me ask you this question. Do you have faith that can be seen? Do you have faith that is visible by what you do with your faith? Praise God. These were influencing. See, they went and they, found, they, they took their friend that was paralytic on a bed, and they brought him to Jesus. I want to encourage you to bring people to Jesus. They may be paralytics. They may not be paralytics, but bring people to Jesus. Praise God. And that's what we want to do. But if we don't learn how to deal with people, and, and uh, the reason I'm, I'm preaching this message this morning, I know it's Mother's Day, and I, I considered whether I should, should preach a Mother's Day message today, but in light of the fact that we, we believe we're getting close to a time when we can gather back together in person. And, uh, you know, we don't know when that's going to be yet. Uh, we'll be sure to let you know as soon as that is possible, as soon as we know. But as of right now, we don't know a date on that. But when we do, we want to be ready. And what I want to do is help you to be ready. So start now, even before we know the time, you know, pick up your phone. You, you'll be more than six feet away. If you pick up your phone and call people, you don't have to go within six feet of them, but call them, uh, send them text messages, invite them to come to church with you, praise God, because, you know, we've got, we've got some time to make up, praise God, and we've got some time to, to be an influence and to let people know that we care about them and let people know that we love them. And uh, so there are some things that when we come together, and like I say, I want to reemphasize that we don't know when that's going to be yet, but 
When we come together, things are for a time, we're being told that, that when we come together, things don't just go back to normal. There may be some adjustments that need to be made, and we'll let you know what those adjustments are going to be. Uh, you know, we don't know if, if we're going to be, uh, you know, only permitted to have a certain number of people in the service. We don't know how that's going to work. We'll let you know. But uh, there are some things we need to consider, and we need to be considerate of one another. And I know that not everyone has the same revelation and not everyone is at the same place in their faith. You can see many times people who who place a strong emphasis on faith, they want to condemn others who may not have the same level of faith. Who, who may not be the same place in their walk with the Lord and in the same uh, and walking in the same things and, and you know it, when we begin to condemn people we're getting over into something that's not any of our business that's that's not our place even Jesus said this he said that John chapter 3 verse number 16 says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, verse 17, but that the world through him might be saved. Notice this. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, who am I to condemn the world? You know, why would I think that it would be okay for me to condemn the world when Jesus did not come to condemn the world? I'm supposed to be doing the works that he did, not works that he didn't do. He didn't come to condemn. He came that they may be saved. And therefore, my purpose has to be exactly what his purpose was because when Jesus went back to heaven, he commissioned me and you to do the works that he did. Not some of the works he did and some of the works he didn't do. No, that's not what he said. He came and he commissioned us when he went back to heaven to do the same works that he did. He has called us to be imitators of him. And to do the things that he did. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want to share something here. Uh, beginning with verse number 1. Now, in Paul's day, there wasn't coronavirus. But in Paul's day, there were some other issues that were going on. That uh, uh, some were taking it upon themselves to condemn others. And Paul addressed this situation. In verse number 1, he says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. We've all got a certain level of knowledge about things. None of us have all knowledge, but we all have some knowledge. And then he goes on and he says, knowledge puffs up. So, in other words, when we begin to increase in knowledge and we begin to gain knowledge, the, the, uh, the fleshly response to that, I've got some knowledge, I get puffed up about 
or, or get prideful would be another way of saying it. Get prideful about the knowledge that I have. I'm proud that I know this and that I know that and that I, I'm proud of what I have accomplished by faith and I'm proud of, uh, of the fact that I have this revelation and that revelation and, you know, and, and I uh, begin to get puffed up. But here's what he says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Now, knowledge is a good thing. We want to have knowledge. But here's what's more important, that we have love, because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's what edifying means. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Praise God. Let, 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 Let's get that in our thinking and just memorize that little statement so you can be meditating on this and, and considering, am I walking in love? Knowledge puffs up or lifts us up in pride, but love builds up. Love edifies. It builds up. Are you walking according to love and... and you know, it's not that we don't want to have knowledge. We want to have knowledge, but we want to, to control the knowledge that we have with love so that it's not puffing us up, but it's building others up. Praise God. Praise God. And then he says, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So consider this. However much you know, you don't know it all. And there is more that you don't know than what you do know. Praise God. There's more that you don't know than what you do know. Praise God. And if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the, the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. Now see, he's writing to the Corinthians here, and the, Christ, the Corinthian believers, the Corinthian Christians, they came out of idol worship. And because of that, the priest in the, uh, in the heathen temples, they would offer sacrifices, you know, much like the, the Jews offered sacrifices to God, these, uh, these Corinthians, they would offer sacrifices to these heathen idols. And uh, they, they would do that in their temples. And yet the, the, um, the priests were allowed to take a certain portion of that sacrifice and take it and eat the meat. And then if they didn't want it, then they would sell it in the, in the market. And so uh, people then would buy the meat, and, and uh, uh, it's it said that it was usually less expensive than other meat. And so they would, they would buy this meat, and they would take it and eat it. But see, if you're taking a person that has um, been in one particular place in their life, they've been in a bad place in their life, and then God brings them out of that, there are times when um, it is a, uh, a, um, 
it, it becomes an issue in their life. For instance, take a, take a person that has had an alcohol problem. Maybe God has delivered them from alcoholism, and they've come out of that. And then uh, it becomes a, a, uh, a point where if, if someone then drinks alcohol in front of them, it causes them to struggle and possibly even to fall back into that life of alcoholism, uh, drug uh, use, uh, things like this, uh, you know, would, would cause them possibly to stumble. And so taking this meat that had been offered to idols could possibly cause these the, the conscience of these persons that have been delivered out of idolatry and come to the Lord, the eating of meat that have been offered to the idols could become a stumbling point for them. And so let me just uh, continue on. He says, concerning the things, uh, the eating of things offered to idols, he said, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. He said, an idol, you know, we know that an idol is, there is no other gods. There's only one true God. There's no other gods but the one true God. And because of that, the idols, they are so-called gods. We'll read that. He says they're so-called gods, but they're not really gods. All they are is a, a big slab of stone that's been carved into some kind of an image or a slab of wood that has been carved into some kind of an image or gold or, or whatever, but it's really not a god. It's nothing that a hunk of junk is what somebody said one time. It's nothing but a piece of junk. It is nothing but some kind of an image of a god that doesn't exist. We know that. And we know that... Uh, you know, offering meat to a piece of wood or a piece of stone is no different than offering uh, uh, meat to that chair sitting there. Uh, you know, it's, it's no different. And he said, we have that understanding, we have that knowledge, but not everybody has that knowledge. And he says, for even if, verse 5, even if there are so-called gods whether in heaven or on earth, as, there are, as if there are many gods or lords, many lords, yet for us there is one God. He said, so even if they really are gods, he said, just, just for, for sake of making the point here, let's say that there really are some other gods. He said, even so, yet for you, there's only one God and Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, verse 7, there is not in anyone that knowledge, or not in everyone, excuse me, there is not in everyone that knowledge. He said, not everybody has the knowledge of that. Not everybody has the understanding of that. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now 
eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Now, he's saying because they, they used to worship these idols, now they have a knowledge of this. They know where that meat came from. And it defiles their conscience to eat that meat that has been offered to idols. For, uh, and then he goes on, he says, uh, their conscience is defiled, but if food does not, com- but food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. He said, if you have this knowledge and this revelation that there is only one true God and that this idol, this, this uh, piece of wood or stone is, is no God at all, it is in reality nothing but a piece of wood or stone. He said, if you understand that, and therefore you you can eat of this meat without being defiled by that, and that idol is nothing to you, he said, that is fine, but not everybody has that knowledge, and you need to consider one another. You need to consider your weaker brother who may be defiled by that. He says, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? For for your brother... Or your sister in Christ, it may be an issue uh, uh, for them. It may be an issue that they might, you know, they are condemned for doing it, yet because they see you doing it, they may turn and say, okay, well, I can do it too. And then they're defiled, their conscience is defiled by what you have done and now because of what you have emboldened them to do. And then he says, Um, In verse 11, but because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. See, that's the thing to always consider. Christ died for that brother just like he died for you. He says, but when you thus sin, notice what he calls it. He calls it sin. It's not just sin for the brother that defiled his conscience. But it's sin for you who put the stumbling block in front of him. He says, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, how does this all relate to the coronavirus? How does this all relate of when we come back together? You see, there are a lot of believers out there. 
that they believe that Jesus went to the cross and he paid for not only their sins, but he also paid the price for their healing. He bore their sickness, their disease, and their pain. He bore it in his body. And there are many believers who have that revelation. But let me tell you something. Not every believer has that revelation. Not everybody is, is free in that regard. And maybe you believe that I don't need to wear a mask. I don't need to wear gloves. I, it's okay. Let's shake hands. Let's hug. Let's do all this kind of stuff. And, and you may not have a problem with that at all. But the person sitting next to you may not have that same revelation. He may not have that same understanding. You see, I believe that no sickness, no disease, no plague shall come near my dwelling. I believe that. But the person sitting next to me may not believe that. He may not have that revelation. And if I cause him to be in fear because of the fact that I insist on giving him a hug. Now... Am I causing that brother to get into fear? Am I causing him to walk in? A, see, we don't want to do, that's, that's what I'm saying. We may have to make adjustments when we come back together. We're a hugging church. You come to Word of Life, we like to hug. But I'm going to ask that when we come back together, that we forego that for a little while. Now, maybe you're fine with that. But consider the brother sitting next to you, the brother who greets you at church, the shaking of hands, you know. Consider the brother who may not have that revelation. We, and, and here's something that, you know, this, this bothers me a lot when I hear Christians say, well, yeah, but you, we shouldn't do that. In, we shouldn't have that in church. You know, that's, in, in church, we shouldn't have to deal with that. Well, see, that's just the problem. We want people coming to church that don't believe that. We want people coming to church that don't have any faith. I want this place filled up with people that don't have faith. Why? Because I believe I have a message that will cause them to have faith. And so, you know, I want, I asked the question one time, I said, you know, does your church have messed up people? And then I said, if not, why not? Why not? You see, we want messed up people to come to church. You see, this is not a showcase for people who have their life all together. This is not a showcase for people that have everything all put together in this nice little Christian package. That's not what this is all about. If the people really had it all together, they would be bringing in people who don't have it all together. So there's proof that they, the people who appear to have it all together really don't. Because they're not bringing in, they're not reaching, they're not impacting the world. Do you have sinners coming to church? Why not? Well, when people come to church, we shouldn't have to deal with that stuff. 
No, when you come to church, this is where you learn how to deal with stuff like that. This is where you learn how to deal with people that don't have it all together, whose lives are all messed up. You see, we want people that need what we have, not people that already have what we have. And the people who already have what we have, we want them to be sharing it with people who don't have it. Praise God. And so we need to consider, you know, when we sit down to, next to someone, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just speculating here, but I'm saying we may have to sit in every other seat. We may have to forego the handshake. We may need to forego the hug. We may need to wear the mask. We, we may need to do those things uh, to help others be comfortable who may not have. You say, well, I, you know, I believe I'm fine. I believe I'm not going to get the, the coronavirus. Well, you know what? I believe that too. But I'm going to consider that someone else, it's not my place to, to decide who that person is, but I want to consider that someone else may not have that revelation. Someone else may not have that freedom to do that. And so it's very important that we understand these things. And this is why I wanted to do this because I, we don't know when we're going to be able to open back up again. We don't know when we're going to be able to come back together again. And so I want to be sure that we share this word before then. Praise God. And we'll be reminding you of that. And whenever we get the green light to go ahead, we'll be giving more details on what the plan is. But, praise God, we want you to come to church. And we're going to work around and, 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 and be sure that it's possible. Praise God. We may have to use uh, overflow rooms or things like that. But we're going to do whatever we have to do. But we want to accommodate people and not try to say, well, you should just have faith. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself. That's what the scripture says. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says this. He, he says, I have resolved, or he says, but resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. Then in verse 15 of the 14th chapter of, of Romans, he says, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase that and say, If your brother is grieved because you insist on hugging him, if your brother is grieved because you refuse to wear a mask, then you're no longer walking in love. Hmm. Something to be thought about. Do not destroy with your food or your hug or your handshake. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Praise God. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 13 says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Praise God. 
You see, knowledge puffs up. Well, I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to stay six feet away. I can hug. I can shake hands. I can do, you know. But does it make your brother stumble? Does it present a problem for a weaker brother? Praise God. And if that's the case, then if I insist on doing it my way, I am no longer walking in love. Praise God. Praise God. Romans 15, verse 1. We then who are strong, if you consider yourself to be strong, here's what he says. We who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are strong ought to bear with the scruples or the weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves. You see, we're in a time when we can't just consider ourselves. We have to consider one another. Praise God. Verse number five. Uh, Well, let me read verse two. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things are written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Verse number five. How may the or now may excuse me, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like minded toward one another. According to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. We are to pursue the things that benefit one another, not just the things that benefit us. Praise God. And I leave you with that today. Let me just say this. If you're struggling today, maybe, maybe you've contracted the coronavirus. I, I believe there's people out there that are, that are watching me today that you have. And, and maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe you're close to someone who has. And you're afraid that you're going to contract it as well. I want to pray for you today. Then I want to pray today, uh, you know, for those who are, are struggling uh, in their minds, in their mental state because of what's going on. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're fearful uh, uh, that, that you're going to get sick. Maybe you're fearful of, of that you're going to lose your job. Maybe you don't know how uh, uh, life is going to look for you after this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love 
and of a sound mind. Jesus, the healer, he wants to heal you. He wants you healed today. Praise God. That's why 2,000 years ago, he took stripes on his back so that you could be healed. Right now, in the name of Jesus, if, you're, if that applies to you, you need healing in your body, not just from corona, but from, from anything. You need healing in your body today. I want you to just right where you are, just lift up your hand. Get serious before God right now. I don't know what distractions might be going on in the room around you, but I want you to just pull yourself into a private place with God right now. And just lift your hand, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just send forth that word of healing that Jesus bore our sickness, our disease, and our pain in his body. He bore it so that we would not have to bear it. And I speak healing over all of those today that have that have raised their hand and lifted their hand. I can't see their hands, but you see every single one of them. And Father, I just release that healing anointing of God to go into bodies all across this world, this viewing audience today. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing. Begin to give thanks for it right now. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that you so love us that you're healing your people. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and I want you to pray it after me. I'm going to pause and let you repeat it back after me. See, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you believe that, you're halfway there. The only part that you lack is the confession. Praise God. Now, why do you need to be saved? Because Jesus said, if you're going to enter heaven, you must be born again. This is how you get born again. When you pray this prayer and when we say amen, instantly you will pass from death to life from spiritual death, from being spiritually dead, separated from God, into a place of spiritual life, reconnected with the life of God. And God himself will move on the inside of you. And he'll begin to live his life through you. Praise God. Praise God. So if you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he is the only way to heaven. And I want you to receive him right now. Repeat this after me. Say, God in heaven. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me, that he paid for my sin so that I won't have to pay for it, and he rose from the dead so that I could have new life. Today I choose to put my trust in Jesus for my salvation. I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life, for saving me. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you, and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select 
I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us. And remember that God is madly in love with you.